Hey everyone, welcome to the Mongols podcast sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. I'm Steve and with me today is a special guest, Mark Goodman. I think this is where I'm supposed to say, let's go. Wait, that's not right. Hey Mark, how you doing? Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Good to have you. So Mark, uh, people can find you where? Uh, I know you cover the hounds, you cover a few other things, but tell our listeners where they can find you. Most probably know, but. Yeah, these days I'm writing for uh two outlets uh and a half one of is a, one is a podcast so of course you can cut co- you can see me uh covering the river hounds the pittsburgh uh university men's and women's teams uh and some local youth soccer for pittsburgh soccer now with my friend john krinsky um and it's been a great blessing to write about the hounds for the last three years and then on top of that i cover the colorado rapids for um the leading podcast on the rapids you can find us uh through foot mob um and it's called holding the high line and then we've also branched out into writing so um you can catch my weekly writings on uh major league soccer and the colorado rapids on holding the highline.substack.com so uh, that's and then of course you can catch me as soccer underscore rabbi on on the twitters if you really only like things in 280 characters or less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, soccer rabbi, why soccer rabbi? Oh, well, I'm actually a rabbi. So okay. that's that's pretty much it. The, the I long, already knew that. <laughs> the longer story is when I started uh, on Twitter, like I think eight or nine years ago, I was Rapids rabbi, which is has a nice alliteration. Um, and then when I moved to Pittsburgh, I needed to kind of like broaden that. But there was a soccer rabbi. There is a, um, he's now an assistant coach and I think assistant GM and scout for uh, Phoenix. Um, And I'm, I think his name is uh, something Perlman. I forget his first name. I've actually never met him. Um, But he was soccer rabbi for a long time. Nice Jewish guy who happens to be a soccer coach, not actually a rabbi. But eventually he decided, you know, soccer rabbi, probably wasn't the right handle for him. So he dropped it. And as soon as he dropped it, I picked it up. And I'm, I'm really lucky to have, to have, I think one of the cooler handles in all of Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one that sticks out, I think uh, in a great way. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's get down to business. Thanks for uh, introducing yourself to uh, the Mongols fans a little bit. I think most people know who you are, Um, but I guess I wanted to have you on and wanted to get a chance to hear your thoughts on where we are with the current roster and kind of where you think we might see things shape up for the remaining spots on the roster. So um, we've got the returning players and then some new guys. Uh, I think most people are familiar uh, with these names, the guys that are com- coming back, uh, Vidiello, Dover, Rivera, Forbes, Griffin, Velarde, and Dequa. Um, I think my big question about these, these guys, I mean, They've all been here two, three years now, or it'll be their second or third year now. Um, uh, do you think all of these guys are starter quality guys this year? Boy, isn't that always the the great question? I think that the default setting that a roster building pundit would come with, especially after three seasons of watching the Hounds, as I have, is that the guys who are held over are the most likely candidates to be starters. But if you know Bob Lilly, you know that that's unlikely. So like if you looked at the roster last year, you know, Danny Griffin was added sort of late. I would say he was somewhere around like the 18th, 19th, 20th guy added to the roster. And so to my mind, that meant like, well, he's kind of an afterthought. He's your classic, you know, low grade college guy. You'll yank in 
And if he pulls 300 minutes in his first year, he's lucky. And Griffin turned out to be a tremendous asset to the team. I mean, he's kind of a false nine. He's kind of a 10. He's kind of a wing He's or an in, in, interior winger. Um, and he's really talented. And of course, as a late roster, late-ish roster addition, you know, I think what that tells you about Bob is he, he sometimes gets a guy early um, and has a very big plan for him and it doesn't work out. I mean, there's some other guys who, who are similar like that um, who don't quite work out. Last year, there was um, Jaleel, um, and whose name, whose last name escapes me. And, Sonny, I think. Yeah, yeah I think very good. Sonny, yeah. And I, th- I remember talking to Bob early last season and, and he was really high on Jaleel. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out. I mean, he had in- injuries early season. He never really rounded into form. He he had injuries late season. And I do not believe he played a single minute for the Riverhounds last year. So, you know, you can't count on it. I think there are some names on this roster uh, that on this list who you can pens- you can you can put in ink mm-hmm. on the starting eleven. But I do still think that Bob's got some more pieces. Um, I would, my guess, if I were, if I were to, to, to take this to Vegas or to, to Rivers Casino or whatever is, uh, like you're keeping it local. I've never actually been to Rivers Casino. I'm not a gambling man. <laughs> not but, me either. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if they're sponsoring the team or if they're sponsoring the podcast, maybe you guys can pull a couple coins from it. But, um, <laughs> I would guess that seven of the guys that are on the roster right now are going to go, you know, every, every week. And, um, four guys are kind of going to be between betwixt and between. Okay. Any concerns about any of those guys in any way? Um, I think we have the same concern year after year with the Riverhounds, which is, and I honestly, I would say that it's a USL concern for almost any team, uh, which is, you know, USL is a, is a low rent league. I love the way steel army likes to phrase it as kind of a garage league. And what you pay for in high end pro soccer is goals and you pay for strikers. I mean, that's where if you got a guy who, who scored 15 goals in the premier league, he's going to cost you a pretty penny the, the following season. And in USL, that's basically the same, you know, the, the Tyler Pashers of the world are extremely expensive. And so the Riverhounds don't spend the money on striker because it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, last year they shelled out for Ro Papa Mensa. And I don't, I, I mean, I, when I say shelled out, I mean like they, they went and got a, a known quantity, which means that they paid above kind of, you know, average or minimum wage for um, USL players. And Ro Papa didn't really kind of pan out. And I don't think that that was very impressive um, and I think, you know, in addition to that, they just decided that there are other strikers they could let go. So I think, you know, Dequa is a really wonderful player. And I think he has the capability to be a 12 to 15 goal scorer, but he hasn't been. So I think that that means that that's where you have a, a big question mark. And I think the other question that goes with this is um, the Hounds don't really have uh, a clear two striker if they're two strikers, if they're going to play a two striker system and Bob has played for the last couple of years, a three, five, two. And, um, I don't know who the second, I mean, Dequa's you can put in as certainly going to start as striker, 
I don't know who the other guy is going to be. There are possibilities here, um, but it's not clear. Mm -hmm. All right. So lots of new guys. Uh, some of these guys come in with experience. Uh, guys like Josh Datt, Alex Dixon, Russell Cicerone, Todd Wharton, Alex Dijon. Dijon, Dijon. I don't know. I'm, now I'm saying it like the mustard. Uh, and <laughs> Preston Kilwine. <laughs> he is not mustard. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, some of these guys, and I know you know uh, probably of these guys, Josh got the best from his time in Colorado. Um, uh, but yeah, what are you seeing uh, from your perspective on these guys? So um, Cicerone is is a known quantity. I mean, he's a, he's a USL kind of like, I think that that's an extremely valuable thing, a USL veteran, a guy who knows the league, a guy who knows opponents. I think an undervalued skill in soccer in any league is the guy who goes out and plays a game and he knows the opponents on the other team. And therefore he knows that guy likes to shade inside or that guy favors the left side. Or I remember that one time I got him to bite on that fake with the step over and yada, yada, yada. Like it's important to have, or, you know, the and additionally um, a guy who knows the, the, um, the fields, right? Like he knows, where how the ball bounces on turf in certain stadiums he knows where the lines are in indianapolis although that won't apply this year i think um he knows some of the referees and he knows that the tendency to go to the yellow or to let it bang a little bit and that's really valuable i think that's what you get about Cic get out of cicerone um with Kilwine, you're getting uh bob's standard guy who's really really big at center back bob needs a six foot four or taller um, center back who is good in the air. And I think that that's a really valuable thing that Bob values. And I, I appreciate that about Bob Lilly. Um, and then of course, he, he, as you mentioned it, um, the guy I know the best is Josh Gatt. So if people are paying the good money for this podcast, they should, uh, they should tune in for just my words on Josh Gatt. Not that I'm an expert or anything, but you know, I got to see him in person. I got to interview him. Um, Gat's a really interesting story. Um, mm -hmm. He is a 29-year-old. Uh, he has MLS and U.S. men's national team experience, which is a pretty rare thing for a uh, professional soccer player at the USL mm -hmm. level. He is a veteran, and he's exceedingly comfortable in the locker room. So I think that that's going to be really valuable to have a guy that the other players you know, he's new to the team and new to the league, but guys look up to and say, he's been there. He knows what it's like. He, he, he wants to win. I think the other thing about Gat is he's really never been with a winner. And I think um, it'll be really interesting to watch him this year with Bob Lilly, who anything less than, you know, a playoff berth and a cup is not okay for him. You know, Bob is never satisfied. And I think that I hope really that that will be really good for Josh Gatt because I don't think that he's had a lot of opportunity to play with even winning teams for the last six or seven years before the Rapids. He was with Minnesota. Um, after the Rapids, he played in uh, Austria with a team that was kind of struggling and, you know, floundering. And then he went to um, I think Scotland and nothing really happened or Ireland and nothing really happened there. Um, so, you know, what, what you get with, with Josh Gatt is he's a, a classic winger, 
uh, extremely fast. At least he was when he was 26. Um, he's a he, he's maybe one of the best straight line players you'll ever see. So for Hounds fans who who remember uh, Cristiano Francois, he's a lot like Francois in two respects: one, the ridiculous pace, and two, the questionable final third finishing which is to say you know cristiano never met a ball that he didn't want to kick right into the goal <laughs> and sometimes that resulted in fans singing how high do you want the goal you know like cristiano would would sometimes uh take five shots when two would have been a good idea and gat was like that in his younger days um today i think he's a little bit different I think you'll probably expect that an older Josh Gatt will not be as fast, but he will also be more selective in his passing. Um, he's not, he wasn't at the MLS level, the kind of guy who could sling in a ball from the wide areas uh, on a dime, but at the USL level, he'll be pretty good. He'll be pretty good at that kind of thing. And I think as an older player, it, my expectation is that he will know the difference between, um, you know, taking wild shots from outside the box and picking his spots and doing the thing. The other thing is, you know, as well as I do from being a practice that um, if he's going to bring it down the wing and there's going to be a great opportunity and he's going to take a dumb shot instead, Bob's going to scream at him. And eventually those kinds of things get worked out of your system. So I think the thing that's great about Josh Gatt is that he brings a lot of the experience. He will probably bring the maturity and the experience that means that the pace will still be there. The one last thing I'll say about Gat that is, of course, the worry that anybody who has two eyeballs and a, a Google, uh, you know, the ability to Google somebody is he has a history of injuries. You know, he he tore his ACL um, twice within two years. He had a he had a failed reattachment surgery that meant that he basically had two or three ACL surgeries before he ever played any minutes of, of soccer over a two or three year period. So he was basically just, you know, he went from Europe to rehab for a long, for 18 months or something. And then he played in MLS and then he came back to Europe and he had some injury problems again. Um, so a bulky knee is, and I don't think it was a torn ACL. I think it was meniscus damage, which is pretty common. I have a torn ACL so and torn torn meniscus, so I know how the two work off of each other. So um, the goal for Gad is to, to stay healthy, and I'm sure the fitness crew will will keep him, uh, you know, in mind and be be mindful of that. Um, as long as he's healthy and fit, uh, I think that Josh Gad is a huge addition to the team. Good to hear that. So then we got some younger guys. Um, I think. Ezra Armstrong is one. I'm not sure he fits into like the newcomers because uh, of his experience, but he's pretty young uh, along with uh, Chris Morish, uh, who projects probably to be a backup in goal. Uh, and I think we think it's Luis Perez. Um, those three guys, anything you've seen uh, or you've been able to pick up from your conversations with the team or with Bob? I All I know is, is that these guys are, I would say it this way. Um, Bob and Dan Visser, having talked to them over the years about their process, you know, they go to the combines or the, the kind of open tryouts typically. Um, but they also get a lot of tape from agents and they get a lot of tape from the players themselves and the dudes eat tape. I mean, I remember sitting down with Bob at the end of my first off season with him and Visser 
and saying, you know, are you relieved that you get a little break? And they looked at me like I was insane. Um, there's no break, you know, they, they, a couple days after they get four or five days after um, the last playoff game, whenever that is, they re-sign some guys, they settle some guys back into their apartments or help guys move out of the apartment if they're not staying with the team. And then they start eating tape for two or three months, you know, and by eating tape, I mean, you know, they sit down at the computer and they watch video from hundreds of players and they get to the office at eight o'clock in the morning and they go home at six o'clock at night and they watch video on guys for hours and hours and hours and they make notes and they talk to each other. You know, what about this guy? What do you think he does? How could he play in? So by this, all, all I mean is the three guys they brought in, I can't speak to their individual qualities, but I know that Bob Lilly has a system that works. He knows what he's looking for. He wants guys who are diamonds in the rough at the division two level. He wants guys that are D one players who maybe are overlooked. Um, he's typically looking for a more complete soccer player as opposed to a complete physical specimen, which I think is really notable, right? He'd rather have a guy who checks back to the ball and has a head on a swivel, right? Like the, um, the, the thing that made Robbie Mertz so good, the thing that makes uh, Canardo Forbes really good is kind of an overall soccer IQ as opposed to raw physical talent. And, you know, kind of riffing off of Cristiano Francois, Francois was, was extremely fast. Um, Decision-making in the final third was probably his Achilles heel. And I don't think Bob wants a guy like that. So those are the guys that I would kind of look at. The last thing I'll say is Bob is tough on goalkeepers. You know, Bob never met a goalkeeper. He didn't think he could get a better version of. Um, <laughs> and the fact that Danny Vitello, Vitiello is, is, is coming back again is, is a huge, huge um, uh, endorsement of that guy's skills. Um, honestly, this is probably the first year that my expectation would be uh, in, in my time in Pittsburgh, which is only three years to be fair, um, where, you know, goalkeeper is settled and everybody else, I mean, as long as everybody's healthy, those guys just earn a paycheck to, you know, sit on the bench. All right. Um, so yeah, this puts us at, uh, 16 players signed right now. Um, interesting that you brought up Griffin being kind of in that 17, 18, 19 ish player signed last year. So, uh, who knows, maybe we get some guy like him uh, in these next few signings. Um, uh, but pretty consistently, Bob's been at or close to that 23-player uh, game day or game week limit. Um, every once in a while, it's fluctuated here or there based on loans and whatnot. Um, so that kind of leaves, what, seven players left uh, on the roster spots for him. Um, what do you think of the biggest needs for the team? And who do you think, or I guess maybe not who, but maybe there is a who that you think you might pick up or more specifically position things he's looking for to fill in the gaps on the current roster. Yeah. I mean, uh, central midfield is probably the most solid, you know, Canardo Forbes is going to be the, the, the base of the pivot of those three. Um, and you can reasonably assume that, uh, you know, Danny Griffin and uh, Anthony Velarde are going to be the other two, but you probably need another guy there. You need a more pure defensive midfielder um, to kind of, you know, kill balls or potentially a guy who's a lot like um, Tommy Vanke Azeel, you know, a guy who can be that up center back, who can be a ball playing center back 
or can be your deep line uh, distributive defensive midfielder. Um, that guy's not on the roster right now. Um, it could be Alex Dijon, but I don't think that's really his, his best play. Dijon has played so little for Orlando for the last couple of years. Um, and I covered Orlando for American Soccer Analysis, which is the other website that I write for. Um, although I probably won't be writing for them going forward just because they, they're so stats and math nerdy that I, I'm like, I just don't have the calculus brain to do what they do. Um, but I covered Orlando for them for the last two years. And Dijon is, um, I think I referred to him a couple of years ago or last year as, you know, your, your standard, like, uh, you know, depth kind of guy in major league soccer, like your, your replacement level player. Um, which means at the USL level, he's, he's a good center back, but he's not the pivot. Um, so you need another center back probably. Um, and then, you know, you need, uh, you definitely need another striker. Um, and I don't know who that is. I mean, uh, Cicerone is, is a striker. Um, and one of those other young guys you mentioned is also, I think, uh, a striker number 10 ish kind of guy. Um, we got Alex Dixon with some experience. Dixon, right. That's right. Thank you. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I have not watched a ton of Dixon. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but he didn't, he didn't seem to be in any of the USL games that I was, um, watching last year. So, um, I mean, I know he's, he's a solid player, but whether he's really kind of being brought on as, um, depth or the go-to striker, I don't know. Um, and I think that there's going to be a few more college level guys. And I, and I think there needs to be a little bit more pace on this roster. You know, Bob didn't really need pace the last couple years. You know, I don't think he's had a guy who could absolutely fly other than, um, uh, Ryan James, who's a fullback. Um, and clearly, and then the, I guess the last position they're going to need to fill in is, you know, you've got Rivera on one side and Dover probably on the other. Um, it's possible that, uh, Bob will want a more natural left footed, um, uh, fullback. It's possible that he is happy with Rivera and Dover on either side and he'll pick up somebody, um, to be depth at, at fullback, but you, of course you can't, you can't go, you know, Iron Man with your, with the, with two fullbacks all year, you need a guy who, who can do that. So those are all pieces that'll be added. Um, I do know that Pitt is uh, one of Pitt's uh, graduating uh, right backs. Um, I think his name is Loffelson is, um, uh, is, is a decent possibility. Bob likes to keep it local with at least a couple guys um, and Jasper Loffelson. Um, I think Jasper Loffelson would be a great addition at fullback for Bob. And I would be, um, I would, I would be, uh, kind of hoping that he kind of lands it, but if he doesn't do it, it'll be a Jasper, Jasper Lofelson kind of guy, right? A, a talented and pacey, um, uh, NCAA graduate at fullback. Cool. Um, so yeah, some other USL soccer news, um, just was it just yesterday you wrote and published an article, uh, in Pittsburgh soccer now about Charlotte independence, which, uh, you know, when it comes to other teams, I don't spend a lot of time reading and whatnot, but this one piqued my interest. Uh, Charlotte is where my family's been for the past, oh, it's been too long now, what, 16 years, 17 years, something like that. Um, so uh, one of the cool things about that is, hey, it's a ready-made excuse to go watch the hounds on the road, go see family and drag uh, 
drag my nieces to a soccer game and they're miserable, but uh, they watch me uh, yell at the ref and whatnot. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, maybe tell us a little bit, give us a little teaser on what you were talking about in that so people can uh, go ahead and take a look at your article there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure your listeners are exceedingly literate individuals who consume all soccer articles under the sun, um, and have probably already read it. But there, but uh, part two hasn't dropped yet. It's going to be a two-part article. Um, you know, I've been in contact with because, and I've been covering Charlotte for seven or eight years now because Charlotte was the affiliate for the Colorado Rapids before they were, you know, before I was paying attention to them as a USL team, and. You know, Charlotte is a team that were founded um, with great hopes of being, um, you know, a, a competitor in USL. And very quickly, they struggled at the gate. Um, they brought on a, a new owner in 2018. Um, he had a history of being fairly politically conservative, but not necessarily in a controversial way. Um, you know, to, to leave kind of American politics sort of out of it. But in 2016, he was a trade advisor to Donald Trump. Um, he had a couple of tweets that were of, of you know, they're kind of questionable. And some reporters in Charlotte were worried about him at the time. But they kind of said, you know what, I'm sure he'll be fine. And uh, this last summer, um, during the Black Lives Matter protests, he tweeted for about a week straight a whole bunch of stuff that was conspiratorial. It was uh, race, racist in nature. It was anti-Semitic. He had some transphobic tweets, um, and it it was a lot of it was kind of of the ilk of saying that the Black Lives Matter protests were fake, that they were generated by you know, China and Antifa and all these like false flag kind of organizations that it was all manufactured controversy. And I think the, the thing that was really difficult for Charlotte fans and Charlotte players and the rest of um, USL fans who were paying attention was he was very, very painfully discounting the experience of actual black Americans, you know, that um, he, completely missed the fact that a black man was choked to death for eight minutes and 46 seconds um, by a police officer and that violence by police towards people of color is a recurrent problem in America that needs to be addressed. He just kind of skipped over that and he pretended like everything was fake and I, it really hurt the fans, it really hurt his players. You know, he had a number of black players who, you know, felt, you know, dissed for lack of a better word. And it created a rift. And, um, you know, I covered in the article and it'll, it'll break on Monday with part two, but it never really healed. And um, we're almost, you know, we're, we're six, eight months later and Things are not good. And on top of all that, this is, you know, the focal point of, of part two of the article. Um, you know, Charlotte has a, a major league soccer team coming in and the USL team is opening a new stadium this season. I mean, it is the timing could not be worse for their <laughs> owner to go on a racist, crazy QAnon fueled rant. Um, you know, it's just, it's, and, 
it's very difficult to figure out what's going on at Charlotte and if they have any future. You know, mm-hmm. things look really bad is basically mm-hmm. how it looks. And as a, as a USL fan, uh, as we all are, we want what's best for the league because what's best for the league is what's best for each of our individual clubs. Nobody wants to see a topsy-turvy chaotic league. Nobody wants to see clubs fold every year, right? It's not good as a Riverhounds fan to watch the Rhinos go on hiatus, to watch as much as we dislike them, Penn FC to go away, right? <laughs> City it's, Islanders. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not good for Richmond to go to decide to slip down a league. Like it's just not, it's nobody enjoys that. We like the old rivalries. We like the Charleston battery. You know, we like this, we like the stability of the league. Um, and if this is a league of, you know, financial chaos and teams coming and going or teams like, you know, giving it two years before they move on up to MLS. Like I don't, it's not, it doesn't speak well for any of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah, a couple of interesting things that I think are just uh, unique connection points to that whole Charlotte story. Um, uh, So you bring up uh, Charlotte having some uh, black players that were really dissatisfied, including former Riverhound, uh, Hugh Roberts, good friend of the podcast, uh, uh, does his own podcast on BGF, BGNFM network, uh, uh, Backyard Footy. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people have, have heard his stuff. Um, but I mean, Hugh's just a great guy, advocate for uh, for Black individuals in sport and in soccer in particular, even founding uh, the Black Players Association in the USL, a member of the Charlotte Independence. Um, and the other interesting Pittsburgh connection, I think, right? Like, so you bring up Charlotte FC, the MLS team, uh, owned by David Tepper, who has put a lot of money into that team and a lot of money into Pittsburgh here in the form of uh, financing a lot of the construction of Tepper Business School over at CMU, right? So like those two interesting Pittsburgh Charlotte connections, I think are, um, you kind of see both sides of where, uh, yeah, where D'Amico is kind of in the middle of the pressure points. I mean, Personally, I'll say keep the pressure on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, between you and me and all your podcast listeners, the, the problem with D'Amico going out as owner is the reality is if D'Amico, this is something that I'm, you know, will be in one of the articles. If D'Amico had not stepped up in 2018 to buy the team, odds were they were going to fold that year mm-hmm. altogether. So you're left with this terrible damned if you do, damned if you don't, mm-hmm. conundrum of do you want the owner who winds up becoming an openly racist, homophobic, transphobic, anti-Semitic um, mouthpiece, or do you want no team at all? I mean, it's just a terrible situation. And I have become friendly with a number of um, Charlotte fans and they're in the worst situation. I mean, because as you pointed out, um, for those who aren't paying attention, um, you know, Tepper's already started off with a number of missteps with Charlotte FC. I think first, the first misstep was just not buying the independence in the sense that like, if you have an established soccer culture and you ignore it and you move on and you do something else, you kind of like starting from scratch and not building from what you have. Uh, you know, when when Vancouver Whitecaps um, started in Major League Soccer, they began in USL and moved up. Um, the Sounders had roots in the old NASL. 
uh, Nashville started in USL and moved up. And those are really valuable things to do that, you know, you build a fan base before you build a front office and a team. Because if you're just building a front office and a team, then it's a marketing and corporate branding exercise. And if it's a USL, you know, team that you buy and build and move up like Cincinnati, um, it's it's part of, even though it's not legitimate pro-rel in the way that yeah, I think those of us who would want an open pyramid structure would want it, it, it it's a facsimile of the pro-rel system that in America we're going to have to put up with. So for Tepper, you know, if, the, if you haven't been paying attention, the recent misstep was they, they published recently their um, prices for seats, which include something called a personal seat license, which is an old NFL idea of buying the right to your seat, which you can then transfer in the event you don't want to continue to own your seats. And the personal seat licenses for the for Charlotte FC are going to run between $380 and $900. And that doesn't entitle you to it. That doesn't give you a ticket that entitles you the right to buy a ticket, which means that um, good seats for a good season ticket for Charlotte will run you two thousand to three thousand dollars per ticket, and then just the mediocre seats in the corner are like six hundred, eight hundred bucks a pop. Which I had way better seats than that in Colorado. The team was twenty years old when I was a season ticket holder. Um, and I didn't have to pay for a personal seat license. So there's a lot of folks asking big questions about, you know, Charlotte FC right now. And that's where you're at if you're a fan. Do you want the crappy corporate experience that's overpriced or do you want the team with the racist owner? Yeah, in in interesting. Thanks for giving us your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely not specific to the Riverhounds, but I think how goes the league does influence the team, right? Um, and I appreciate your levity of focusing on the culture locally for teams. So we might, uh, those of us that are Steel, Mar Steel Army members, uh, and I think we've even talked about it a little bit here on Mongols, um, uh, not always fans of teams starting in the USL, moving up to MLS. Um, but gosh, yeah, that's a heck of a lot better than uh, having to compete with a team that just comes in like Charlotte is doing, like Austin is having going on uh, going forward as well, right? So uh, be glad we're not in that situation. Um, another interesting bit of news, uh, USL uh, looks like they're going to be starting a revenue sharing model. What can you tell us about that? Not too much. I mean, I, we, you know, the only, the only piece that's out there right now is from Soccer Business Journal, and the piece is fairly opaque because it describes a series of complicated metrics that only USL front offices have access to about um, attendance thresholds that teams have to meet in order to make the revenue sharing. Um, essentially, the idea is that I think what was probably going on before this was that if your USL team was going to be on ESPN plus or ESPN two, the national broadcasts, um, you got um, revenue from that game. If you weren't selected by USL for that game, then, and, and you're a USL team, then you got no national TV money. Um, my guess is that the national TV money is going to be better 
in the next couple years that as soccer expands, as the markets expand, um, ESPN will be paying more for them. I also think that the likelihood is that um, USL and Major League Soccer will likely try and start negotiating their TV deals in the same year, which would allow them to have some leverage um, because they'll, you know, ESPN potentially could be the domestic home for all soccer or Fox Sports could be the domestic home for all US soccer. And that would be or uh, Paramount, which uh, currently owns the rights to um, both NWSL and um, the UEFA Champions League. Um, and they just recently bought the CONCACAF rights um, for national team games. So, you know, when the U.S. has to play, God forbid, Trinidad and Tobago in a critical game um, and the game is in Trinidad, that game is only going to be on uh, Paramount+. Plus. So anyhow, point being, the, the national TV deal co goes up for MLS in 2022. USL, I think, is currently negotiating their TV deal on a year-per-year -year basis. And so if they can sync that up and get a little bit more money to every team, um, that would be good. The, the interesting challenges of that are one, um, it probably doesn't help the hounds who were already a team that were going to, that were on the broadcast anyways. Um, now they got to share that money with teams that weren't previously on the broadcast. Um, that's challenge number one. Um, challenge number two is that it's probably likely, um, that we won't see a big change immediately because ESPN isn't currently broadcasting a ton of games on ESPN two because they don't get uh, it for USL because they don't make it a ton of, of money. I think the bigger question uh, long-term is whether um, USL goes to what MLS is working on the 2022 broadcast deal, which is right now, um, Major League Soccer teams have two sets of deals. They have their local deal and their national deal. And the goal is uh, in 2022 for local deals to go away. That, um, you know, for example, for USL, um, that uh, they wouldn't, that the Riverhounds wouldn't broadcast their games on uh, channel, whatever it is, 27. CW, right? Yeah, the point, you know, whatever yeah. that is. Um, I don't get it. So, um, doesn't, doesn't I come only in. stream, right? Um, uh, but that, that their deal would go, uh, just through ESPN. And if that was the case, then I think the Riverhounds would ultimately make more money. Mm -hmm. Of course, to finish this all off, uh, most USL teams make the vast majority of their money from gate revenue. Um, discounting last year's disastrous COVID season. Um, the next largest source of income is advertising. The third largest source of income is television. Ideally in five or 10 years that changes, but right now, um, you know, the 50% revenue sharing deal that was outlined in sports business journal is we're now talking about possibly sharing more money across the league for a team's third largest stream of income. All right. Well, thanks for your thoughts, Mark, and thanks for joining us. Uh, like you said earlier, you can uh, find Mark on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi. Um, go to Mongols, click on support the show to become a Patreon member. Um, and remember, Black Lives Matter. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of the USL, MLS, and US soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com.
Are you tired of the same old uniforms, cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday, league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit at IcarusFC.com. If you want more great USL news, head on over to BGN FM, uh, where we've got what? something like over 100 fans writing podcasting all about this beautiful game uh, there's lots of great features uh, that went up on the site uh, and always do go up on the site so check us out that's bgn.fm be sure to listen to soccer better that's by our own liz and laura ellen here at mongols uh, for some exciting and unique looks at the sport that we all love on that note mark thanks for joining and we'll see you later